back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom, my partner in crime, Alex Lott. And Alex is Alex is like a student right now. This guy's like in a college class, the way he's grinding these takes, especially on these deeper prospects, these deeper fantasy draft picks that we're going to be having to make decisions on. You know, even if you are drafting 10th, 11th, 12th round, those decisions have to be made and those are important picks and important shots you need to take. So Alex, I'm excited for this episode. We can call it our deep sleepers. We can call it our late round values. I'm just excited to start talking about some of these players that, you know, aren't the mainstream guys that everyone's talking about. Yeah, 100%. And these sleepers can be where you win leagues. I mean, the tough thing about sleepers too is if everyone is calling them a sleeper, they're not a sleeper anymore. So, you know, we're early in the process here. But as we get closer to our drafts, you know, in August, early September, some of you psychos are going to do them in July. You got to evaluate these players versus their value. And right now, all these guys we're going to talk about are tremendous values and that is what makes them sleepers but i'm excited steph i mean we're getting so close to the season like at the time of this recording we're almost into july we're about a month out from when these guys are going to start reporting to training camp which is insane so it's going to be fun and it's it's so good it's just so so good to finally be talking about these drafts and about this nfl season now before we get into these takes we're going to go quarterback running back few wide receivers because wide receivers where you're probably going to have a few more than any other other positions if you guys want to join the conversation with us and and as things change we're always in the discord giving our updates giving our revised takes and chatting with everybody helping folks right now we got guys in dynasty startups asking for feedback on their picks asking for feedback back on trades so if you want to join the party join the conversation with us hit that discord link in the description down below and lastly as a reminder if you like the show a like and a sub on youtube really helps those algorithms for us helps grow the channel but alex let's start with the quarterback position i'll let you take it away and i'm excited to hear this one because where your quarterback is going uh is deep is deep. And in these redraft leagues, anyone who's watched this show over the last two years that we've been doing it knows that we are all about the late round quarterback in redraft leagues. So who's your first sleeper at the QB spot? Well, if you're new here, it's a double move sports. I just have to preface this take by saying this is a player we've been talking about for a while. This guy was on the top of my sleeper list last season in 2020. And the wheels kind of came off. You have to take your losses when they happen. And I was wrong on Daniel Jones in 2020. I thought that was going to be his breakout year, and it wasn't. And some of it's his fault, of course. But you look at what happened with this New York Giants team, and it felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Saquon Barkley goes out early in the season. The whole identity of this offense is completely shattered. Daniel Jones deals with his own hamstring injury as we get later on into the season. The receivers were in and out of the lineup. This team was just an absolute train wreck. But I think for Daniel Jones in 2021, it's absolutely make or break. And the Giants have gone out and said, hey, we invested in you as our franchise guy. You've struggled a little bit, shown some flashes over your first two seasons. We're going to go out and give you everything you could possibly ask for and give you one last shot. And they go pick up Kenny Galladay in free agency on a huge deal. They pick up Kadarius Toney wide receiver in the first round of the draft. They have explosive pieces everywhere on this offense. They have a possession guy. 
and Sterling Shepard. They do have the red zone threat, like I mentioned, and Kenny G. They have the the line of scrimmage um, screen guy in the burner and Tony. They have Evan Ingram still at tight end. Saquon Barkley is back and healthy. So uh, they're setting him up with everything he could possibly need. I look at Daniel Jones. I don't think his 2020 season is necessarily a total indictment on him as a player. I'm willing to give him one more shot considering he's going in the 13th round of drafts right now just to see if he can get it done with all these weapons in New York. And I honestly just think that, you know, the the pieces around you in an offense cannot be understated. Yes, the quarterback is the most important position on the football field, but everything else around you matters. Like look at Josh Allen Last season in Buffalo, he struggled as a rookie, got a little bit better in his second year. You add Stephon Diggs, a prolific top-tier wide receiver to the offense, and look at what was able to happen in Buffalo. Now, I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to make that kind of leap, but in round 13, it just feels like such a steal right now. And if he comes out and he struggles in the first two games and keeps turning the ball over like we've seen in the past, you just cut him and pick up the other quarterbacks on the waiver wire and see if they can get it done. Um, and the big thing for Jones this year is going to be the touchdown rate. He was 31st in the NFL in touchdown rate Yikes. in 2020, only 2.5%. That means 2.5% of his passes went for touchdowns. It's really bad because as a rookie, he was at 5.2%, um, over double the touchdown rate he had in his sophomore year. So I do expect him to get back to that 5.2% as he adds some of the weapons into this offense, and that should give him some weekly upside um, just because he is going to have the ability to really air it out and throw for these touchdowns. And the other thing about Daniel Jones that I really do appreciate is the ability he has with his legs. He has much, much more juice on the ground than people give him credit for. I mean, last season he had 30 rush yards a game, which doesn't sound like a ton, but when you break it down, that's more than Josh Allen. That's more than Patrick Mahomes. That's more than Justin Herbert. And, you know, Allen is more of a touchdown guy on the ground. Mahomes isn't thought of as like this Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray type of runner. Justin Herbert isn't either. But those are guys that we think of as like, oh, really mobile quarterbacks that can get out of the pocket and scramble and at least do enough with their legs to get it done. Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily always get that kind of credit, and he can get it done. So that 30 rush yards a game is a three fantasy point baseline, which goes a long way. So fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But I'm willing to take the risk on Daniel Jones this year. Going back to the well with Danny Dimes. And Daniel Jones averages more trips per game <laughs> than Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, and Herbert as well. And I know he gets clowned on, but that's even another reason why his ADP is so suppressed. When you see these mainstream analysts, these talking heads, and even people on Twitter trashing guys on the timeline, it represses their value even more on these fantasy drafts who say, well, Daniel Jones, ew, he's gross. I'm not going to touch him. But if you take last year in context and the weapons, the weapon upgrades are insane. The weapon upgrades are a massive deal. Yes, Kadarius Tony is important, but Kenny Galladay, I think even he himself is a value in drafts too. I'm really high on Galladay this year. I think he's the perfect alpha X wide receiver that not only fits the skill set with Daniel Jones throwing it up into traffic, and Kenny G is a, a, one of the best contested catch wide receivers in the NFL, now that Kenny G can play the clear outside alpha X wide receiver, you can let Sterling Shepard be a full-time slot guy. You can let Darius Slayton be a full-time field stretcher. Let everybody fit into their specific roles. And that way you don't have guys outside of their comfort zone. This offense is sneaky. They have some sneaky upside in 2021. But I want to talk about another guy that received a whole new 
gaggle of receiving <laughs> weapons. And look, the, the the quarterback position for me this year, like if I had to put together what's my strategy as of you know mid June 2021, going into 12 team redraft league, single quarterback leagues, I'm trying to get one of the three rookies, whether that's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, and then pair them with the super late streamer name, a guy like a Kirk Cousins, like a Cam Newton, maybe a Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if if I miss out on those rookies, the the quarterback I've had my eye on, a guy who is a late round value, is Tua Tagovailoa. Tua right now is the QB eighteen per his ADP on Underdog. That's back of the twelfth round. That's behind Lawrence Fields and Lance. That's behind Matt Ryan. That's just ahead of Kirk Cousins. And and I like Tua a lot as this upside shot that you can put your chips in on early in the season. Because he got that huge upgrade in weaponry, especially for downfield playmaking. He goes from an injured Devontae Parker, an undrafted free agent, Preston Williams, special teams hero, Jakeem Grant, and Lynn Bowden, the most gadget receiver of all time, to now adding those same weapons. You get a healthy Devontae Parker, and then you get Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell. And he still has Mike Kosicki, which which Tua showed good rapport with last season. He was a top seven tight end in fantasy. And I know a lot of that was Fitz, Fitz Magic, but they also brought in Hunter Long as a good tight end too, a good young prospect that he can ascend with. So now in year two, another year away from Tua's big injury in college, a full offseason of prep and training as the unquestioned starter. We get one of the best college prospects at the quarterback position we've seen in some time known for his downfield accuracy. And you give him downfield burners on the outside, one of the better ones we've seen over the last five years in Will Fuller. I don't want to get too in in the weeds on college numbers from Tua. This isn't a prospects breakdown show. We do those all, all offseason. But let's just talk about Tua's first year in the NFL because despite his his lack of fantasy numbers, he was a very accurate throw of the football. He had a 64% completion percentage. It's, it's not terrible considering the weapons that he had as a rookie. And you have film grinders like Steve Belazzo from PFF and among many others looking at Tua's tape, saying that, look, he was an accurate passer. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of playing the quarterback position I don't know what it means really when we say a guy is is super accurate. Like I can look at ball placement when I'm watching the game. That's great. But let me let me take you down narrative street, Alex. Because last year, if you go back and watch some of the games, which I did, again, not a film grinder, but I think there's value in the tape for sure. You could tell, and it even came out from Miami Beat reporters that the system that Miami had last year was built around Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can see this. You, you can see that Tua's being asked to throw up these 50-50 balls to the outside all the time in year one in the NFL as a rookie. That just, it makes no sense to me, especially for the type of player that, that Tua is. And what we'd see a lot of the time is you'd see Tua running around in the pocket, scrambling, moving to his later reads, and then he would find guys that were open. It was a struggle at times, for sure. But he was 10th in the league in completion rate while under pressure. He had nine red zone rushing attempts in nine games and turned those into three touchdowns on the ground. He has that Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, Ryan Tannehill type of rushing floor that I think he's going to continue to rely upon in 2021, especially if things don't go well. 
And before I dove into Tua's 2020 in depth, I thought the volume was actually the issue. And, and to a degree it was. But if you look at the season stats, I think they're a little deceiving because he had the game where he got pulled. He was put in against the Jets and one game in garbage time. So if you look at his season-long stat lines, they're a little bit skewed. He only had three games where he was over 30 pass attempts where he played a decent amount of snaps. And those games were against Cincinnati, Kansas City, and Buffalo. And those attempt totals were insane. He had 58 pass attempts against Buffalo. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about Lamar Jackson ending his 2019 campaign in the playoffs against the Tennessee Titans. He's throwing the ball 61 times in a game. We were all excited mm-hmm. about that. We thought the passing volume would increase. Same thing happened with Tua towards the end of his first season. So I think in the range of outcomes is Tua being a high volume passer. And in games where he played 90% or more snaps, he averaged 33 pass attempts, 214 yards to the air, one touchdown, sprinkle in the rushing, and he averaged 15.8 fantasy points per game if you adjust it. So if you look at his season stats on any website, they're going to say, you know, 13.8 fantasy points per game. But if you take out the garbage, he was tied with Baker Mayfield last year. He was tied with Jared Goff. And if he can do that in year one, I'm ready to see what he can do in year two. This year he has the Bills twice. He plays the Giants. We just talked about. We've talked about the Giants' entire offense as a sneaky upside offense with a bunch of weapons. Hopefully Danny Dimes can can ascend. Uh, They play the Titans. They play the Texans. They play the Jaguars. So we're talking back of the 12th round. I really like it from a value standpoint. In a lot of drafts lately, I've seen him fall even a full round later where I'll gladly scoop him up at value because at a minimum, he's a streamer that you can plug in based on matchup. And at best, you have a top 10 QB on your hands. And Alex, I know for you, you've already done the projections. And in your rankings right now, Tua's flirting with the QB1 range. He's right around the QB12. <laughs> yeah, he's close. Um, no, I I agree with you. I think, I think some of the volume concerns are real, though. And I get the narrative about the Buffalo game that he had the huge number of pass attempts. But if history has taught us anything, it was the same with Lamar in that playoff game when he had 60-plus attempts. That was a one-off, like, outlier game that was more of an exception than the rule with Tua. For sure. And, you know, 33 attempts isn't bad if you take out some of the garbage games. But in a 16-game season, that's only 532 attempt pace. So that, even that, you know, good average is still low. Like, that's below average for an NFL quarterback. So the volume is still a concern to me. But, Steph, I'm in with you on Tua as a sleeper. Um, just because of where he's going right now. I mean, going in the 12th round, we start to talk about these double-digit round quarterbacks, and it's it's almost becoming the new narrative when we're looking at breakout guys is we need quarterbacks that have new receiving options and new receiving weapons, and then we want the quarterbacks that have rushing upside. I mean, you look at Kyler Murray in Arizona, has rushing upside, got DeAndre Hopkins, ascended to be the number one quarterback for a good chunk of last season until they started battling that injury. We look at Josh Allen, has rushing upside, got a new stud receiver. We saw him ascend to that elite tier. Now with Tua, there's a lot of red flags with Tua, but you look at the writing on the wall with what we've seen from these breakouts in the past, and it's like Tua gets the receiving options, gets Will Fuller, gets Jalen Waddell, has the rushing upside. Does he take that step to be a top 12 quarterback? And I think while the volume 
numbers are a concern. While we still haven't seen Tua consistently even play at a high level in the NFL, he's not getting benched this year. Um, there's no one behind him. They got rid of Fitzpatrick. So like Tua is going to be the starter for the whole season. And as long as he's producing for fantasy, that's all you're looking for. You don't have to draft someone for your roster that's going to be a playoff quarterback. And Tua could definitely do it this season. You just have to draft someone that's going to get it done week in and week out. And with a lot of the things we mentioned with those weapons, with the rushing floor, I think Tua can certainly get it done. And it's something that we're going to continue to see um, with these quarterbacks. Like we saw it with tight ends years in the past where it's like if you can hit on that late round tight end, you're going to find yourself competing for a championship because it's just such an incredible value. You know, the Darren Wallers of the world, the George Kittles of the world. If you hit on those guys the year they broke out, you're set. Even with the quarterback spot, we've started to see it with some of the names I mentioned, the Josh Allen, the Lamar Jackson, the Kyler Murrays. And these are guys where if you hit in double digit rounds, it sets you up and vaults you to success. If you miss, no big deal. You didn't waste much draft capital on them. Just cut them, find someone else off the waiver wire and go from there. So for the value and what you could be getting with Tua Tagovailoa, I definitely like him as a sleeper for 2021. The volume is the biggest concern outside of Tua's talent. But I say all that to say I expect everything to improve at all levels for Tua yep. if if what he did in college remains constant. If he, if he is the player that he showed us to be at Alabama, things should get better. And I want to mention that with limited volume – it does cap the upside, but there were games where Tua did have some pretty monstrous outings. And I'll just throw one out there. Uh, and this was actually, I remember if we, you look back, you can probably find receipts on our channel. Going into the game against Kansas City, Tua was a guy that we said to pick off, off the waiver wires and plug in because he had 28 completions for 316 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and then had six carries on the ground for 24 yards and a rushing touchdown. 28 fantasy points for Tua against the Kansas City Chiefs. So at worst, he's matchup dependent, and that's why I like him at this ADP. But Alex, let's jump over to some running backs, some running back sleepers, some running back late round values. And we all know the running back position. There's a, a huge drop off once you get past really all the, the starters, guys that are in these 50-50 splits. It, it's really hard to find a guy, even in the double-digit rounds, even in like the eighth, ninth round, that makes sense for you as a guy that you would have any confidence in starting on a weekly basis in fantasy. So I'm intrigued to hear these running backs. These aren't going to be 13, 14, 15th round names, which we'll get to at the wide receiver position because that is a much deeper position. So running back for you, Alex, who you got? I'll stick to the double-digit rounds with my running back. I'm going deep on this episode. I'm going with a guy who is currently going at the 10.01, so barely double-digit rounds. <laughs> he snuck in. He snuck in, but it's Gus Edwards, the Gus bus in Baltimore. And I, I look at Gus Edwards, and I'm like, dang, like this dude won. It's just a really good NFL running back when I look at the production he's put up so far in his career. But when I look at this Baltimore team and the signals that they're sending at the running back position, there's no reason not to like Edwards for 2021, especially at this value. First, I mean, he just got a nice two-year, $10 million extension, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for the running back position, that's pretty significant because Gus Edwards is now the number 16 highest paid running back in the league, which is absolutely crazy. Dang. And I think that could signal more of a 1A, 1B situation in Baltimore than we want to admit. Um, and Gus Edwards, to me, is one of those guys that know he doesn't have that top five upside, 
but he fits in that category of like being a high value handcuff that has standalone value, even if he is the backup. You think about a guy like Kareem Hunt last year, totally different skill set, totally different player, totally different value. But with Kareem Hunt, we were saying, dang, like Kareem Hunt is a high value handcuff. If something happens to Nick Chubb, which it did, Kareem Hunt's going to be the every week starter. He's going to see his volume go up and he's going to be a smash play. But if Nick Chubb is active, we could still spot start Kareem Hunt in our flex as an RB2, and he could deliver a really nice fantasy football performance. And that's exactly what we saw from Kareem Hunt. I think to a slightly lesser extent, that's what we have with Gus Edwards. As is, you know, he's a, a high-end backup to J.K. Dobbins. If something were to happen to J.K. Dobbins and running backs miss time here and there, they get a little bit banged up. Gus Edwards, if he had this backfield to himself, would be a smash play but as is, even with J.K. Dobbins in the lineup, Gus Edwards is a guy you can spot start, hope he gets, you know, 50 yards and a touchdown and a catch or two in a game and gets you 15 points. Um, and he can provide value on bye weeks if you have injuries, things like that. So Gus Edwards is a player I just I just really, really love. He has back-to-back-to-back seasons of 700-plus yards, which is pretty significant. Like People don't realize just how good Gus Edwards has been. And since coming into the league in 2018, Gus Edwards is number one in yards per carry at the running back position with 5.2 yards per carry on 414 attempts. So this dude is efficient. He only needs eight to 12 carries a game to give you that 50, 60 yards and touchdown upside. And we've seen this from Gus Edwards before. We've seen a glimpse into what he can be if he has this role to himself if he was able to get that opportunity, we saw it in 2018. That was with Lamar Jackson at the quarterback spot and Gus as the lead back in their rookie season. Gus Edwards was running back 14 and half PPR from weeks 11 through 16 in his rookie year. He finally Ooh. got that starting role. Nobody else was there. Lamar Jackson was coming into the role, taking over for Joe Flacco. And it was this Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards show. And as rookies, he was able to propel Gus Edwards to being the running back 16 and half PPR um, for the last three weeks of your regular season and for the fantasy football playoffs. So I think Gus is a perfect upside stash, you know, in the double digit rounds. He's not just a bench clogger. You think about some of the traditional handcuffs and if they never end up getting an opportunity, like they're just sitting on your bench, and you're never going to use them. But with Gus, like I said, you do get to start him if you are desperate. And when I look at Baltimore, you also got Mark Ingram out of the picture. I know he wasn't very involved last season, but there's just even more clarity with this Baltimore backfield to me in 2021. It's going to be the J.K. Dobbins and the Gus Edwards show. And unfortunately for people that invest in J.K. Dobbins this year, I think they're going to see a little bit more Gus Edwards on the field than they'd like to. You got Dobbins going in the third round of fantasy drafts. Why not wait seven rounds right. and get Gus Edwards? Because I think you're right. This is going to be more of a 50-50 split than people realize. Is Gus Edwards ever going to catch a pass, even the limited volume that's there? Probably <laughs> not. That's probably going to go to J.K. Dobbins. But the workload for, between the two isn't going to be that different. And like you said, Gus Edwards already proven that he's a good player over his production and the fact that he already got another contract extension. So I'm with you 100% on Gus Edwards. He's going to be a guy I think we're going to have a lot of shares of, especially in deeper leagues like 14-team leagues, leagues where there's a lot of keepers. And you're just trying to find as much depth as possible. Gus Edwards is going to be the perfect name. Think of like a Chase Edmonds last year where, look, even if he's not the standalone starter, he's definitely going to have that value. So I'm with you. So Alex, we've we've had our, our disagreements on the show, right? And that, that's what it's all about. That's why we do this fantasy analysis, this fantasy take thing. 
is because we want to get into it. We want to see where the disagreements are. And one of the, the biggest disagreements, the most epic battles that we've ever had was the Ronald Jones versus Leonard Fournette debate. It's ongoing. It hasn't and, and stopped. It, it's not going to stop. And this may, this may drive you nuts, but my running back sleeper, a guy that I have already in a lot of best ball drafts, is my guy, Leonard Fournette. And, and right now, based on his underdog ADP, He's going back in the eighth round. And I've considered scooping him up on rosters where I need a running back late as early as like the mid seventh round. Wow. Because he gets fantasy valuable touches on a high scoring offense that sustains long drives and relies on the run when their great defense gives them the lead. Now, I know most fantasy gamers think, you know, old Lenny is washed. He, he's busted. He was bad last year for fantasy if you had him on your roster. But let, let's put some context into his 2020 because he was cut less than two weeks before the season started. He was getting ramped up in a new offense. And then after putting up 27 fantasy points in week two in garbage time, he suffered a high ankle sprain, missed four games, and then was still dealing with that lingering injury that we've seen stifle the likes of Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas last season, his his whole season was a wash because of a high ankle sprain. And that's what Leonard Fournette suffered as well. And even with that, during the regular season, he was still soaking up almost all the goal line work, was getting some carries on the ground, and then commanding third down and, and pass catching volume. And he's essentially playing the James White plus, plus, plus role for Tom Brady. Now, with Fournette, Again, in the regular season, he wasn't seeing a ton of carries, but 22% of his carries came in the red zone. And it played itself out for Leonard Fournette because he had eight touchdowns in 11 games where he played more than, you know, the 30% snap share. So the double-digit touchdown upside is absolutely there for Lombardi Lenny this season. He averaged four targets, three receptions a game, 53 yards from scrimmage. Not anything to get overly excited about, but... For a guy in drafts right now that you can get as your RB3 or even as a super late RB2, it's like a zero RB roster <laughs> type of target. If your roster shakes out that way, I love the ADP because you know I've been in on Fournette every year he's been in the league. He, he's a freak athlete. He's a unicorn. They don't build guys like Leonard Fournette to have the size and speed he has with the pass-catching chops. And it's not like he's 30. He, he's 26, coming off a monstrous stretch. So we're not talking about, you know, a 28-year-old Todd Gurley. Is he or really only Bell. 26? He, he's only 26, man. He, he still wow. has juice. That's and that was never shown at a greater degree in the uh, until we got to the playoffs. Because in four games on the biggest stage with an injured Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette averaged in the playoffs 16 carries. 4.7 yards per carry, four and a half receptions a game, 112 yards from scrimmage, and a touchdown. That That's what he averaged. So we're talking over 21 fantasy points. I'm not going to say he's going to maintain that pace for all of 2021 by any means, because if he did, he'd be the RB4 in fantasy points per game. But we got a glimpse of his upside. He showed us that he still has the juice and has the full backing of the Buccaneers offense. So if you liked Melvin Gordon last year, it's another running back that is in a, a split backfield, but gets 
the valuable touches. He has the high floor because of the receiving, receiving work, because of the goal line volume. You can get that same role on a better offense in the eighth round instead of the fourth or fifth where Melvin Gordon was going last year. So I'm still in on Leonard Fournette, and the fact that he's going this late in drafts gets me really, really excited. I'm going to have a lot of shares. Yeah, I had to bite my tongue during that entire thing just because <laughs> the Fournette, man, the Fournette-Rojo debate is just going to keep going. And, you know, I'm going to kind of turn this into a, a double sleeper because as much as I prefer Rojo to Fournette and as much hate as I've given Leonard Fournette uh, over the past couple seasons, Steph, I think you're right about him being a sleeper this year. But with that being said, I think you have to lump Ronald Jones into that same category. Like, I think both of these guys are values because we can all admit the Tampa Bay backfield, that offense's backfield is going to have value, right? And they did add Giovanni Bernard, so maybe he takes some pass catching work. We'll see. But, I mean, these two guys are going in the back of the eighth for Lenny, and then Rojo is going in the ninth round. And last season, these guys were both going in round six. So is adding Giovanni Bernard and proving that your offense is good enough to win a Super Bowl enough of a formula to push both of these guys back three rounds in ADP? And I don't think so because we saw flashes from both Fournette and Rojo last season when Fournette was out, when he did miss games, when he was banged up. We saw Ronald Jones go on a short stretch during the season for four, five, six weeks where he was a top 10 running back. Yeah, he had back-to-back-to-back 100 rushing yard games. So I'm with you on that, man. Really, the ceiling for both of these guys comes in if, if the other one goes down. Exactly. And to your point, we did see some some boom games from Lenny during the season. We did see the big playoff push. And when they're both on the field at the same time, I think there's still value. Like it's going to be a toss up deciding which one of these guys comes in on the goal line. I I know you did mention the high percentage goal line touches for Fournette. They both I, I just checked the stats. They both were pretty close in red zone touches last season. Um, So so to me, that's like one of them's going to be in there. One of them's going to get the rushing touchdown, unless, of course, Tommy keeps it for himself. And that's going to be the dice roll on a week-to-week basis. If you have to start Fournette, if you have to start Rojo, you're hoping they're the one that gets those touches inside of the five or, or that it's their drive to be in the game. But with Fournette, he does give a little bit more in terms of the receiving game than Ronald Jones does. I think Jones' talent is a little bit better, but it's all about opportunity. Um, so sadly, Steph, I agree with you that Leonard Fournette is a sleeper for this year. And I think you can add Ronald Jones to that as well. Eighth, ninth round. If you need an RB3, if you're in a deep league, I'm fine stashing these guys. And there were games last year where Leonard Fournette was the number one target on yeah. the Buccaneers offense. He had Sad. games with seven targets, six targets, <laughs> like getting more than Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. It's just crazy how often, I mean, we know what Tom Brady is at this point. He's a check down machine. So he's going to take what the defense gives him a lot of the time. That's where the high floor comes in for Leonard Fournette and makes him that, that value over the top for me. And that's why I have him over Rojo, but I'm with you, man. I think there is value in both of these guys. Names have kind of been thrown under the bus and it's so much to the point now that they've become values. So let's jump over to the wide receiver position and let's talk about some, some deep, wide receiver, sleepers. Alex, I'll have you go first, but I want to preface by saying I I think a lot of the good last-round picks, second-to-last-round pick this year actually are the rookie wide receivers that were brought in. Yeah, You know know I love Amon Ross St. Brown. Been talking about him a ton. Go check out the videos on our channel, breaking him down, breaking down his ADP. We just put out an episode last week about all the rookies in redraft. So I don't want to beat the dead horse when talking about these rookies. I think we've kind of put the cap on that 2021 class. 
But you have other names like Nico Collins, Josh Palmer. Yeah, absolutely. Just these guys were, there's some hidden upside. And the fact that they are these unproven players and they could be entering some nice target shares in year one. So let's let's talk about some vets, who you got as your deep wide receiver, or at least your first one for 2021. I'm so excited to talk about this guy. It's a little bit of homer pick because I am a Colts fan, but it's Paris Campbell. Right now, he's going in round 12 of drafts. And I honestly, you know, in these best ball drafts right now, I'm scooping him up everywhere. I think he is my most rostered player because of the value. I have him in every dynasty league I'm in, and I'm definitely going to be reaching for him um, in drafts here coming up in August and September as we look to 2021 because he's just a value to me. Like, I'll, I'll give my take here, but worst case scenario, he's going in round 12. Worst case scenario, if Paris Campbell busts, it's lighting a round 12 pick on fire. That doesn't hurt you at all. But after we think about that, let's think about the upside that Campbell can offer you this season. And it all starts out with the talent. I mean, Paris Campbell was a highly touted prospect out of Ohio State. He got second round draft capital. He's still only going to be 24 years old this season, but he's just gotten unlucky with some injuries so far in his career. He was in and out of the lineup as a rookie. Last season had kind of a freak injury in the second game. They've already said he's back 100% healthy going into this season. And last year in 2020, he came into the season as the number one option for the Indianapolis Colts, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's a tiny sample size. So I'm not saying this would have maintained itself for the whole season. Um, And you can't really extrapolate a ton from it. But in the one game he played last year, 83% of the snaps, six catches for 71 yards on nine targets led the Colts offense. So I know it's a tiny sample size, and that's why he's going in the 12th round. But the indicators were there for Paris Campbell to be the guy for the Colts last season. Now he is healthy. Um, He should be very involved in this offense. This offense is going to be good this season. They have a great offensive line. They get an upgrade at quarterback going to Carson Wentz. That might be a hot take in and of itself that we'll continue to talk about as we get closer (laughs) to the season. We'll we'll bring that one up later. Let's just bookmark that. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about (laughs) Paris Campbell, like people are like, oh, he's the next, you know, T.Y. Hilton type of player. Like he's going to be the heir to T.Y. Hilton. And maybe as the Colts wide receiver one, yes. But in terms of the type of player they are, no. He's better than T.Y. Hilton in terms of athletic measurables in every single way. T.Y. Hilton's 5'9", 183. Paris Campbell is six foot 205. Paris Campbell runs a 4'3", 40-yard dash and has a 97th percentile burst score per player profiler, which measures your broad jump and your vertical jump. So he's explosive. He is fast. He's got size. And this is a real swing for the fences pick. Um, But that's what I love doing late in drafts. Like we're in round 12. Why do I want to draft, you know, Cole Beasley in the 12th (laughs) round when I could go out and get a guy like Paris Campbell who could end up being a top 20 wide receiver this year if everything goes right. So if you end up getting the Colts wide receiver one in the 12th round, you're going to be very, very happy. And on a roster that doesn't have as much of a, a presence at tight end anymore. I mean, Jack Doyle's a year older. Mo Ali Cox has shown some flashes, but not really. Carson Wentz is going to have to rely on these receivers. And you got Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, T.Y. Hilton, Zach Pascal. Uh, I think Michael Pittman's another interesting breakout candidate. T.Y. Hilton is another year older. They barely brought him back this season. I think he does serve as that number three target in this offense. And to me, Paris Campbell is that clear number one. And I'm super excited to see what he does in 2021. I love it. I I love the spice with this take. And I remember after week one last year, people were saying 
that Paris Campbell was going to be the next Keenan Allen yeah. because Philip Rivers was just going to target the heck out of this guy, seeing nine targets in his very first game, having almost no rapport from a shortened offseason. So very rarely do we see guys who you know get injured and essentially our first two seasons are complete washes. But Paris Campbell is only 23 years old. When I when I saw that, it just absolutely blew my mind. I think that this guy is just so old and beat up and washed. He's just had some bad injury luck, and he's been a – like you said, an explosive prospect since his days at Ohio State. But let me talk about a guy that's essentially, he's the double move sports mascot. (laughs) He's the guy that we rally behind every single year as the super late double digit round, high upside value, the go-to flex, the go-to wide receiver four or five for your fantasy roster. And he's always being slept on. And it's Marvin Jones Jr. Let's go. His ADP right now, is in the early 11th round per underdog. And you have Marvin Jones, you have MJJ. He leaves Detroit and he leaves Matt Stafford at 31 years old. Goes with his offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so now you have a guy that knows how to use Marvin Jones. We've seen Darren Bevel offenses air the ball out. For example, like when Matt Stafford was on an MVP trajectory the first half of 2019 and Marvin Jones was looking like he was going to be a wide receiver one that first half of the year with Kenny Galladay. And over the last five years as an offensive coordinator, his wide receiver one has always produced monster fantasy seasons, over a thousand yards, a ton of volume. And in 2020, with Kenny Galladay out for most of the year for the Lions, Marvin Jones was thrown into a wide receiver one role and was a top 20 wide receiver in fantasy points per game. He was still a touchdown machine and he was two receptions away from a thousand yards with 978 receiving yards. So this is a guy that I think can get it done. He's proven himself. He's a a known commodity. And that's why the Jacksonville Jaguars wanted to bring him in because he comes into a situation with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback where there isn't a firm grasp on who the alpha X wide receiver is in this offense. And I think that's where the true upside lies. Because by all accounts, we we think it should be DJ Chark as the wide receiver one in this offense. But he was getting outproduced last year by the likes of Keelan Cole and Colin Johnson. LaVisca Chenault almost outproduced him as a rookie. Chark was terrible last year by every single metric, efficiency, production, time on the field because he had some health issues. Could we write some of that off and say, yeah, the Jacksonville Jaguars were in tank mode. Chark had no reason to to play through the injury. Maybe, maybe. And, And that's why I'm excited for DJ Chark this year as well at his ADP. But it could also tell us that maybe Chark isn't going to be this true alpha target magnet at some parts or all of 2021. So, Marvin Jones, I think, in his potential range of outcomes, could take over as the target leader in this offense. That would not shock me at all whatsoever. LaVisca Chenault might lead the team in receptions, but he's a close-to-the-line-of-scrimmage, gadget-type player, not an outside playmaker. And at worst, we've seen Marvin Jones be a startable flex option, have weak-winning fantasy weeks, playing as the wide receiver, too, on his team. So MJJ, once again, he's a sleeper. We're taking a shot on the late rounds. Should have a solid floor unless the Jags are just absolutely terrible on offense. And he has a path 
to be the number one or number two pass catching option as a downfield receiver and a touchdown scorer where the fantasy points are made. I love it. I mean, Steph, who's the best red zone threat on the Jaguars? It might be Marvin Jones. It's not Tim Tebow. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, Chenault can get crafty on some of these jet sweeps like we've seen Debo and Ayuk do in San Francisco. Chark is a taller wide receiver, but he does struggle with that strength. Marvin Jones is a tried and true red zone threat, a tried and true downfield threat. And I couldn't love this take more. It's almost like you were taking the words out of my mouth because I look at this Jacksonville team and I think worst case scenario, like as things stand, if Chark is the one, Chenault emerges as the two and MJJ is the three, which is kind of the narrative that everyone's pushing. ETN's getting receptions out of the backfield. Lawrence is the quarterback. I think Marvin Jones still has value as a wide receiver three this year. Um, I mean, you look at the Jaguars in terms of pass attempts. And last season with Gardner Minshew, Jake Luton, I think Mike Glennon might have started a couple of games. No, was it Mike Glennon? I don't even know. Their quarterbacks were trash last year. It was Minshew. Mm -hmm. It was Luton. It was somebody else. It was Glennon. They were, it was Glennon. Okay, good. They were seventh in pass attempts in the NFL because the defense is terrible. And they had to throw the ball. I mean, even though they were essentially tanking, they still had to act competitive in games. And these guys are, are coaching and playing for their jobs. So they were seventh in pass attempts. This Jaguars team, look at what they did in the draft. They drafted Lawrence at one. They spent their other first-round pick on running back. Their defense isn't going from zero to 100 in 2021. So their defense is going to struggle. Now you actually get a competent quarterback with promise and Trevor Lawrence coming in. Would not be surprised to see them finish in top five in pass attempts in 2021. And something we always look for on these teams with three good wide receivers is, one, do they have enough volume in the offense to support them? Check for Jacksonville. And two, is there a tight end of consequence? No, Tim Tebow is not a tight end of consequence in this offense. Hey, and man. <laughs> and Tyler Eifert's, I mean, might catch a touchdown or two, but in terms of targets, in terms of volume, he's not. And Tyler Eifert's not either. So, like... They're going to be funneling volume to the receiver position. You look at teams like Carolina last season that had three top 25 wide receivers. You look at the Dallas Cowboys with Jarwin out. Dalton Schultz was okay. They had three good wide receivers in that offense. You look at Cincinnati with no big tight end of consequence. They can support three wide receivers this season. Jacksonville's in the mix. And that is if Chark and Chanel are the two with Jones as the three. He has that value. And to your point, we don't know that Chark has that role on lock. It's been pretty nebulous um, coming you know, out of the OTAs, and Urban Meyer doesn't seem to like him very much, and he didn't really show it on the field last season. So we'll see. It could be a battle for snaps between uh, Marvin Jones and DJ Chark on the outside, but that's just for upside. For wearing, where he's being drafted right now in the 11th round, he's just an absolute steal. So I'm with you on Marvin Jones. Fantastic take. I absolutely love it. So we talked about Marvin Jones. We, we continue to beat this dead horse season after season. Let's talk about a guy that, we really never talked about it on this show until very recently. It's your next sleeper. Alex, I'm excited to hear this take because when we were breaking down the Rams offense, it got me pretty excited. Yeah, this guy came out of nowhere. We, you know, planned on the Rams offensive breakdown. And when we started looking at it, you know, we're talking about Cam Akers. We're talking about Cooper Cup, all these guys, Matt Stafford. All of a sudden, I'm looking at Van Jefferson like, huh, why do I like this guy way, way more than I thought I did? And I'll tell you why. It's because he's going in round 16 of drafts, which in case you don't know, most leagues only have 15 or 16 rounds. So he's basically free. Pick him up in the last round of your draft. Worst case scenario, you drop him to waivers. Best case scenario, 
you have something really, really good on your hands. And with Van Jefferson, he's coming into year two. He was a rookie in 2020. And, you know, these rookies, like historically, we don't always get this Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins level of production out of rookies. Like the typical path for these young wide receivers is slowly getting integrated into an offense, showing some splash plays, and then emerging as they get towards the back of that rookie deal in years two, three, and four. And with Van Jefferson, I think he could be in that boat. He had round two draft capital, which is very, very important. Um, he has fantastic size and speed. He's 6'2", 200 pounds, runs a 4'3", 940. It's fantastic. And now he's in an offense with a new quarterback in Matt Stafford that's going to be slinging the ball down the field, really using that archetype that Van Jefferson can provide you um, in this offense. And you look at what this offense lost. They lost Josh Reynolds. They lost Gerald Everett. They lost Malcolm Brown at the running back position. But that vacates 176 targets for the L.A. Rams And when I think about who's going to fill those targets, maybe Higby gets a couple more. Maybe some of them get dispersed up at the running back position. Maybe Cooper Cup and Woods get funneled more volume. But Van Jefferson is going to be prominent as the wide receiver three. I know they brought in Deshaun Jackson. They brought in Tutu Atwell as these speed burners. I do think they are going to stretch the field over the top. But I think Van Jefferson is the true number three here in L.A. And I mentioned he was 6'2", 200. He has Matt Stafford as his quarterback. You know who else is 6'2", 200 that Matt Stafford had a really good rapport with? It's Marvin Jones Jr. Let's go. We just talked about recently. So, like, if you want this bigger framed guy who can get down the field and provide those those deep shots, those deep balls, Van Jefferson can definitely do that. And even though he does have the size and the speed, he's a great route runner, and he can serve as a possession receiver as well. So I think Matt Stafford's going to love this guy. I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are going to continue to be fantastic. But this Rams offense in the past is one that has supported three wide receivers. When Brandon Cooks was there, we saw Cooks, Cup, and Woods all be incredibly successful. There's no reason that Van Jefferson, with his skill set, with his athletic profile, and now the opportunity in the offense, can't be a top 30 wide receiver as his upside in 2021. And I mentioned he wasn't super involved as a rookie, but he did show some flashes. He really came on late in the season. In Week 17, four receptions for 50 yards, started to get involved. And then in the playoffs, in the divisional round, they trusted Van Jefferson with increased snaps, and he had six receptions for 46 yards and a touchdown. So I just look at this offense. I look at Van Jefferson. I look at the pieces that he put together as a rookie, and I look at the overall puzzle, and I say, with the last pick in my draft, if I'm in a best ball draft and I'm towards the end, if I'm in a dynasty league and I want to throw out you know, a third-rounder, I'm going to pick up Van Jefferson everywhere I can. So as we get into August, as we get into September, and we're drafting for our 2021 leagues, remember Van Jefferson. And when you get towards the end of your draft and you're looking at the names and you're like, I do not know who any of these players are. I do not know what teams they play for. I have no idea who to pick. Don't just waste that last round pick on Tim Tebow to be funny. Like pick up Van Jefferson, see what he does week one, week two, week three. You're going to know really quickly whether to be in or whether to be out. But just keep that name in mind, Van Jefferson. The Rams might be upset when Deshaun Jackson goes down early with injury, like he's done the last two seasons. And when Tutu Atwell can't create separation and get open and can't create yards after the catch because he's 150 pounds. So not only did Van Jefferson slide into that Cooper Cup, Robert Woods role, was playing from the slot, was playing like a possession receiver. He might actually be the downfield burner. He can do it all. 
in, in this offense. So from a dynasty perspective, I don't know how I feel about Van Jefferson, but for this season, I think he could find his way into some boom weeks, especially if Cup or Woods go down. So Steph, I, I'm seeing this next wide receiver sleeper you have on your list. And I can't wait to hear this take because, oh man, this player, like in 2020, he had his boom games. He's a guy who's been hated on time and time again. And that's the, past. the thing, dude. He's just one of those guys that everyone loves to make fun of. But if you really look at the numbers, he's showed some production. He's actually not bad. Now he goes to a new team, has a very unique opportunity. Steph, I, I can't wait to hear this take you've got on this on this wide receiver sleeper. Just like with with Daniel Jones, just like with Leonard Fournette. Typically, when a guy becomes a meme and gets made fun of and, and people on the timeline are scraping him and they're talking about how he drops all these passes, that's actually when the players become a value because the narratives are just pushing their value further and further and further down the board. So my wide receiver sleeper is Nelson Aguilar. And right now, per underdog, his ADP is in the early 12th round. So a, a pretty late pick. And just like... Marvin Jones, he, he can be, I think, a high-floor veteran with some sneaky upside because he's going to be the clear number one wide receiver for the New England Patriots. That's why they signed a 28-year-old to a two-year, $22 million contract with $16 million guaranteed. That's a pretty big contract for a guy like Nelson Aguilar with his record of production, really only you know, some, some flashes in Philadelphia and then a pretty nice year last season, which I'll talk about in a second. But right away, you get a nice floor from Nelson Aguilar because of the lack of competition. He's competing with Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, and Jacoby Myers. And he showed last year, even with the conservative pocket passer that is Derek Carr, he could actually be a really efficient downfield receiver. So... When Aguilar was in Philly, they, they kept him close to the line of scrimmage. They kept him in the slot. They asked him to be a Jarvis Landry possession type receiver. He goes to Vegas. They put him on the outside to play the role that we thought Henry Ruggs was going to play. And he finishes the year second in yards per reception in the NFL, seventh in yards per target last season. So super efficient, which led to eight touchdowns last year and had a 16.7% touchdown rate which was six at the wide receiver position for last season. So right away, you see efficiency, you see downfield targets, you see fantasy valuable receptions coming his way for Nelson Aguilar, where he is the clear number one. Then the upside comes into play at the quarterback position because if Cam Newton's the starter for, let's just say, all of the year, that means he he's looking pretty good, right? He, he's feeding the ball. We saw... Damier Bird and Jacoby Myers have actually some pretty solid fantasy outings last season. You you probably didn't have them in your lineup when they had those weeks, but they were able to be productive. So if Cam looks good, that's probably a great thing for Nelson Aguilar. If Cam Newton continues to decline and gets pulled and Mac Jones comes in and turns out to be all he's cracked up to be at the pro level as this accurate downfield pocket passer and can keep the offense on the field, can crank out fantasy points, that's that's also great news for Nelson Aguilar. So it's like a, a, a almost like Allen Robinson last year, where it's if it's Mitch Trubisky, that means he got better. If it's Nick Foles, there's some upside that could come into play there. So 
I think you're going to know early what you have because if Cam is looking good and then Aguilar still isn't producing because the volume's not there, then you know, okay, let me just move on from Nelson Aguilar. I'll drop him, keep my eye on waivers if things start to turn around. But if there is some spark in this New England offense that invested in the two tight ends, drafted a quarterback in the top 15 picks, at this ADP, you're not getting anywhere close to a guy who's going to be a wide receiver one on their team outside of taking the shots on rookies that are on bad offenses or are completely unproven in the NFL like Amon Ross Brown and Nico Collins uh, and will likely need time to ramp up throughout the season. So Nelson Aguilar is one of these just super deep wide receiver pieces that if things break the wrong way in my roster, I can plug him into my flex. I can plug him in even into my wide receiver two spot if I have three loaded running backs in these redraft leagues this season. Yeah, 100%. Anytime you can get a player in the 12th round that has a chance to lead his team in targets, like a legitimate, realistic chance without anyone else getting hurt to lead his team in targets, you take that opportunity. I mean, we talked about it earlier with Paris Campbell. Same deal with Nelson Aguilar. Like, if I was a betting man, I might bet on, who knows, like Johnny Smith or I don't know. I don't know who's going to lead this team. Who knows? Maybe Jacoby Myers. But yeah, he's got a shot. He's got a shot to do it. And in the 12th round, he can give you some production. Some of the rookies you mentioned as well have a chance. Like Amon Ross St. Brown could lead his team in targets. We'll see. Probably TJ Hawkinson. But again, who knows? So in the 12th round, Nelson Aguilar, I like it. And you're right. You do kind of get that 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 built-in upside at the quarterback position because they have multiple options. Because you're right. If Cam Newton's playing well, then Nelson Aguilar is going to have a better quarterback. And if Cam Newton sucks, like we saw through the passing game for a good amount of last season, then maybe Mac Jones will be willing to push it down the field. So I like the shot on our boy Aguilar. So Alex, let's get into the tight end position. I think the names that we're going to talk about might, might be a little bit gross to some people. It might even be names they've never even heard of unless they <laughs> play Dynasty. We know tight end is is a pretty gross position as a whole. You're going to have your top three or four guys. You add Kyle Pitts into the mix this year. Hopefully, hopefully, and his ADP is getting insane. He's already going fourth round. It's crazy. With Jamar Chase in some of these redraft yes. leagues that I'm seeing. But in a lot of cases, if you can't get a Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, even like a TJ Hawkinson, who we like a lot this year, or Kyle Pitts at a reasonable price, then you're waiting until the double-digit rounds to get your tight end. There's no point in wasting a 6th, 7th, 8th round pick when you have so many good wide receivers and even some really, really exciting running backs still on the board when you could just wait until rounds 10, 11, 12, 13 and take some shots at tight end. If they don't hit, you can continue to stream the position. But these are some guys that we really like entering in 2021. Alex, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of taking the the stance this year. If I don't get Kittle, Waller, or Kelsey at a good value at the top end of the draft, and if I don't get Hawkinson, Andrews, or Pitts at a decent value in the middle rounds, because I'm sure those ADPs are going to continue to climb, and I'm not going to reach on them, I'm just going to wait. And this is why you just take some shots at the tight end spot. If you picked Waller a couple seasons ago, you probably made it pretty, pretty far into your, your league's playoffs. If you had George Kittle, the year he broke out, like these late round tight Logan ends. Thomas last year. Logan Thomas, your boy, Logan Thomas. The first time you mentioned him as a start of the week before he broke out, I thought you were literally insane. But here we are. <laughs> um, 
So we're looking for these late round tight ends. Who can give you an advantage? The first one I'm going to bring up uh, for this season is going to be Adam Troutman. And right now he's going in round 11. And if you're wondering who Adam Troutman is, he is the tight end for the New Orleans Saints going into his second year in 2021. In 2020, he was a third round pick out of Dayton, smaller school, but he was an absolute monster in college. At the tight end spot, he had 70 receptions, 916 yards, and 14 touchdowns his senior year. He has that pass-catching mold. He is a pass-catching tight end. He can block very, very good as well. Um, And now Jerry Cook is gone in New Orleans. Josh Hill is gone. They vacate 70 targets alone at the tight end spot. Emmanuel Sanders vacates an additional 82 targets on this offense. So there is big opportunity here. Troutman could easily step in to a huge receiving role in this offense. And the limited action he got as a rookie, he did grade out very highly per pro football focus. Take that for what you will. But that just shows me that he's a good tight end. He's a good player. He passed the eye test. He passed, you know, the pro football focus grade test when they're looking at his blocking, his route running, everything. So to me, that just shows me he's a good tight end. He's going to continue to dominate this role, take over this role, stay on the field. And if Jameis ends up being the starter in New Orleans, it's wheels up for Troutman. Like last time we saw Jameis start in Tampa Bay, we saw 117 targets go to the tight end position that season. That was 11th in the NFL. He does have that tendency to look to the tight end. So if it's Jameis... And all he's got is Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. There's got to be another option there. Is it going to be Traquan Smith? Is it going to be Marquez Calloway? Maybe. But it also has a pretty, pretty good shot of being Adam Troutman at the tight end spot. So I'm in on Troutman. If he stays at his ADP in round 11, I'll absolutely take a shot on him and hope he gets that breakout season here in 2021. If Adam Troutman is the ascending rookie tight end, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. You mentioned the number one tight end blocking grade by PFF. If we also just look at his receiving numbers, he was super efficient, caught 15 of 16 targets as a rookie tight end. I mean, that's some pretty incredible efficiency, 11.4 yards per reception. Ain't anything to laugh at. Also had a touchdown on just those 16 targets. So for a guy that is getting the limited volume, is getting ramped up, a small school rookie, that he's showing some pretty impressive production numbers. Like You can't really ask Adam Troutman to do much more. And I know these numbers don't sound crazy, but that's just the nature of the tight end position. These guys take years and years and years to get ramped up. That's why you have guys in their late 20s, even in their mid-30s, like Travis Kelsey, being high-end producers like Logan Thomas and Darren Waller as well. So the tight end position is just so weird. It's so hard to project. But if you're just looking at the numbers and saying, who is a guy that should ascend all the pieces are in place. He's now the bonafide starter in his respective offense. Adam Troutman's a guy that you got to put your chips in on. I'm hoping people don't become too privy to him and his ADP starts rising because I love where he's at right now. But let, let me talk about a streaming tight end. And I'm, I'm, I've been known to stream the tight end position. I really don't care about it all too much. Even in even in like Dynasty it's it's even the top three guys, and I'm probably going running back there, so I, I never really do get the top three guys at tight end. So last year, I was all in on Blake Jarwin, and I, I still kind of like him for this season. His ADP is even lower. I wanted to rehash some of those takes, but I'll just throw it out there. Blake Jarwin, got to keep your eye on just because of his situation. Last year, the result was wrong, but the process was right because Dalton Schultz stepped into that same Cowboys tight end spot and was a streamer in a lot of redraft rosters. But this year for me, if I'm looking at a guy, 
that's just being criminally slept on and could step into a great position, even if I'm not totally in on his talent at, at his current age and where he's at in his career, it's Jared Cook, who's now sure. with the LA Chargers. And, and looking into Jared Cook actually got me way less excited for Kyle Pitts because <laughs> if you look at Jared Cook's prospect profile coming into the NFL, he was also a physical freak, 99th percentile and speed and burst and agility, every metric. But we know what Jared Cook is at this point. He doesn't quite have the juice that he once had now that he's at age 34. Again, where we have seen tight ends still have great fantasy seasons at that early 30 range, even looking back at some of the grades, Rob Gronkowski is still in the league. Tony Gonzalez played until he was almost 40. When you look at Jared Cook, he's a red zone threat. He's a big body pass catching option who can get open down the seam, down the field. He was fourth amongst tight ends in average depth of target with the deteriorating Drew Brees under center last season when he was in New Orleans. He missed a lot of time due to injury when he was with the Saints, but he's been the leader in yards per reception of the tight end position over the last two seasons. So he's an efficient receiving tight end. Now he enters a wide open tight end room in LA on an offense that even last year where you had Anthony Lynn, who's known as the ultimate like feed you're between the, the tackles grinding running back like Joshua Kelly, right? He's a run first guy. That offense, just because of the way things played out and, and Justin Herbert emerging, that offense was top five in pass plays per game last year. So when you have the new coaching staff coming in, taking over in LA, I don't see why they would pivot away from being a high, high volume pass offense with Justin Herbert and if, if they pay attention to analytics at all, they should be passing the ball. This is a passing league at this point. So the wide open spot, the pass volume. Now, if we project the passing game order to be Keenan Allen as the number one, Austin Eckler as the number two, I think there's a non-zero chance that Jared Cook could be the number three. And, and we've seen Mike Williams. We've been waiting for this breakout for years and years and years. He still hasn't truly had a breakout season. He was banged up most of last year, too. Hunter Henry last year, as the tight end with the Chargers, was second behind Keenan Allen with 93 targets. Granted, Eckler was hurt for a lot of the season. So all I'm saying is that if they ask Jared Cook to play the Hunter Henry role, even if it's a slightly, you know, to a lesser degree because everybody's healthy and, and there's other guys that are trying to get fed, if Jaron Cook just plays the tight end one role, he's going to be on the field a ton. Hunter Henry played 29% of his snaps from the slot. He was top 10 in air yards, top 10 in targets, top 10 in routes run at the tight end position. So for a mid-14th round pick in Rejeff Leagues, one of the last picks that you're going to take on your roster, I'm down to stack two or three tight ends, just take some shots. I'm getting a guy who has double-digit touchdown upside, could see... Oh, yeah. Five to seven targets a game. So give me that all day with Jared Cook. Yeah, I love it. And the Char Chargers do love targeting the tight end. Last season, 130 targets to the position. Jared Cook doesn't even need all of that. You, th these other guys they have, you know, Donald Parham and these guys can be involved. And Jared Cook, if he's getting a couple targets a game, four to five is all it's going to take because of that touchdown upside. And if he ends the season with, you know, eight touchdowns, I think he's going to finish as a tight end one 
um, you know, a top 12 guy on the LA Chargers. So we even saw it with Jimmy Graham last season. I mean, this guy was in a <laughs> far worse situation than Jared Cook. He's had far less efficiency leading up to last year than a guy like Jared Cook. And Jimmy Graham finished as the tight end 13 because he caught some touchdowns. So give me that plus plus with Cook on the LA on the LA Chargers offense. And I think it's a great pick. 14th round. I've been scooping Jared Cook up in some of these you know, best ball drafts because I know he has that tight end upside. And for season long, I mean, if you're missing out on those top tight ends and you wait, most of the time you're streaming a tight end and it's like touchdown or bust. You just start a guy and you hope he gets in the end zone and that's going to give you the 12 points on the week to hold you over. And with Jared Cook, I think he's going to have as good a chance as any to get into the end zone on a week-by-week basis. So I love the pick. Well, Alex, I think that wraps it up for our late round values, our early sleepers for the 2021 season. We're going to continue to keep cranking out the content, guys. If you have any requests, hit us up in the comments down below. Again, if you like the show, a like and a sub, always appreciated. If you want to join the conversation with us, join the Fantasy Football Party with us and our squad. We got over 50 members strong in the Discord. We'd love to have you in there as well. Again, link in the description down below. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace.